Well, good morning. My name is Sean, the lead pastor here. It's my privilege to take a few moments to talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I have to confess, I love Easter. I do. I love it. Christ the Lord is risen today. Hallelujah. It's great. I love how Easter, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is, is the climax of God's incredible story of rescue. And so what I want to do is I want you to hear it again, just the narrative of Jesus' resurrection. There's no slides on purpose. It's not in, in your bulletin. I want you to just listen as I read from Luke chapter 24, the account of the resurrection, that on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. So around my house, we love stories. We do. We love stories with wizards and magic, swords and dragons, lions and wardrobes, hobbits and rings, and teenagers and vampires, unfortunately. <laughs> you know, the, the, the stuff of, of wonder, of awe, it's the world of fantasy stories. It's the world of fairy tales. And I want to say something, but I want you to let me finish the thought before you start throwing things. Scripture is a fairy tale. Not that it's untrue, but that it appeals to our hopes it appeals to our dreams just as much as it appeals to our minds. The Bible is a story of good over evil. It's full of joy. It's full of wonders that we adults forget. But we loved those kind of stories as kids, didn't we? Boys and girls who are still here who didn't go to children's church, do you like stories of magic? Do you like stories of swords and dragons, bravery and rescue? Yeah, I know you do. You know why those stories are so popular, boys and girls? because they all come from the one true story of God rescuing his people, of working to restore all things. I wanna kinda get you into the resurrection, perhaps in a, in a non-traditional way this morning. So I wanna show you a piece of art this morning. This piece of art shows visually God's rescue plan. If you see starting here on my right, your left, you have life, and then it says you have loss, and then you have love, you have life. So we have creation, and then we have fall, and then we have the redemption, and then we have the restoration. This shows God's rescue plan. It was all once good and, and fruitful. We might even say once upon a time, but then it was lost. If you know the story, you know how it goes. For the serpent, the evil dragon came, and he tricked the king and the queen into breaking God's law. And so evil entered into our land, enslaving the people. But God promised that one day, someday, a champion would come to defeat the dragon, to free the people, and to usher in a newer and better world, one where his people could live, can I say it, happily ever after. See, all of those stories we love, they come from the hope and promise of this story. 
and the resurrection of Jesus Christ bodily in history, in actuality, is the most exciting part of God's story. I want us to be in awe of this story of rescue, but for those of us who've been around church world for a while, Easter is so normal for so many of us. We know that it's the day we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, but it's also just as important to many of us that this is the day that we wear pastels and put our little girls in smocks. I know. And so sometimes that familiarity and those expectations can cause us to miss the beauty and importance. We've ceased to be awed at what Easter really represents. So today I'm going to do something non-traditional for Easter. We're going to use the New Testament book of Ephesians, and then we're going to use the very first book in the Bible called Genesis. We're going to use those. We're going to look at the resurrection under the idea of marriage. You can go and take that down. It's going to be a while. So, so first thing I want to do, since we're going to talk about marriage, is I want to own this for those of you who aren't married. Marriage is not the reward for a good life. Marriage is not varsity Christianity. And I'm so sorry that we in church world have often forgotten that and treated you as if you're JV and not because you're not married. Instead, marriage is a reflection of an ultimate truth. And so if you have not been married, if you never will be married in God's plan, you, you still get to participate in this ultimate reality that marriage is a picture of. And so we're going to use that picture of that ultimate reality to kind of understand Easter better. All right, let me set the scene for you for the big picture story of Easter. The story that we know looking back on the events. So the sun rises on the third day, right? Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the third day, and it's over. The tomb is empty. Good has won. Evil has been vanquished. How? The Prince of Peace came and he defeated the tempting serpent. After a fierce struggle, although the prince was wounded, he killed the evil dragon. He crushed his head. He then rescued the princess from the distress of her prison, and he renamed her his church, whom he has loved from the foundation of the world, and he married her. He brought her into the kingdom of his father, and now they live happily ever after. I like that version. I like that version a lot. And that really is the story of the Bible. And the resurrection is the key to that story. So maybe you're not quite following me. So again, I wanna do something a little different. Let's read the Apostle Paul's version of this story and perhaps it will help us understand. So if you look with me at Ephesians chapter five, verses 25 through 27, it'll be up on a slide. It's also found on page 10 in your order of worship there. And also, if you really want to, there's a blue Bible in front of you in those chairs. You can turn to page 919 if you'd like to do that. And if you're here today and you don't have a Bible at home, please take that Bible in front of you. That is our gift to you. We'd be happy for you to have that. So Ephesians 5, 25 through 27 says this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Now this is God's word. Let's pray together. Oh, gracious God and heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We ask, Lord, that as we come before your word this morning, that you would once again give us truth 
for our growth and for our transformation. May we see you as you really are, not as we assume. And may we see ourselves as we really are, not as we assume. We pray, Lord, that we would see Jesus in his beauty and that we would cling to the gospel. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So the very first thing I want to say about this passage, especially on Easter, this passage is so much more about what Jesus has done than what husbands are supposed to do. All right, so husbands here in the room, let me just take that burden off you and just get rid of that, okay? It's not about you. Marriage has always been intended to point to the greater reality of God's love for his people. The love of Jesus for his church is what marriage is actually all about. And it's the resurrection that empowers Jesus' love. The love of Jesus for his people, his church, is the foundation of our hope and our joy. That love anchors us in God's plan to have a people for his very own. Sounds a lot like happily ever after, doesn't it? Because it is. And again, I know this is non-traditional for Easter, but stick with me and perhaps we'll get a renewed appreciation for the beauty of the resurrection. So first thing I want us to see is that we see here that in love, Jesus died for his people. Paul begins here in verse 25 by telling us that Jesus loved the church. It's so simple and yet it's so beautiful. Jesus loves her in spite of her unworthiness in spite of our failing to live up to his standards, in spite of our rampant self-worship, in spite of our selfishness, in spite of our anger, he loves us anyway. That's the core of Christianity right there. That God loves us not because of anything in us. He loves us in spite of us. It tells us that God incarnate, the Lord Jesus, gave himself, verse 25 says. That means he actually surrendered himself. He offered himself up. He actually did sacrifice himself for her. This is the amazing love of Jesus for his church. He could only save her by giving himself for her, and so he did. Boys and girls, I want to make sure you're still tracking with me. So let's look at page 10 in the bulletin, boys and girls, okay? At the very bottom, you have your own version there. Let's look at verse 25 there. It says this. It says, a husband should love his wife. He's supposed to love his wife like Jesus loved his wife, the church. He died for her. Boys and girls here, let me ask you a question. Let me see your eyes. Listen with your eyes. There we go. Okay. Do you love it when daddy walks into the room and hugs mommy? Doesn't it just make you feel all squishy inside, right? Some of you never got to see that. I'm really sorry. But for those of you who have, that, that feeling you get is just a tiny little glimpse, boys and girls, of how much Jesus loves us. He loves us so much, he doesn't just give us a hug. He died for us. He loves his people that much. See, that kind of love anchors us. It's our foundation. It lifts us up. It gives us hope that in our sin, Jesus would die for us. But it doesn't stop there. For most church folk, we add on the resurrection at Easter, right? Because we know we're supposed to, but we really emphasize the cross. We dig talking about the death of Jesus a lot. And we don't always know what to do with the resurrection that much. We know it's important, and that's why I'm taking this non-traditional approach because we need to see that in love, Jesus died for the church, but also in love, Jesus cleanses his people. Verse 26 tells us that the goal of his death was to make his bride holy, sanctified, 
cleansed. Again, boys and girls, I want to make sure you understand all these words I'm using. So let's look at your verse 26 there, the bottom of page 10. It says this, He died for her to set her free and to make her clean before God by washing her evil away. See, boys and girls, here's what's going on. So I know I don't look like it, but Pastor Sean exercises at night. Okay, fat jokes later. Anyway, so Pastor Sean exercises at night, and I get all sweaty, and it's time to put my kids to bed, and so I go to like, give them hugs, and they're all like, Daddy! Whoa. Like, Dad, you're yucky. Go clean up, and then we can hug. Which I get, I understand, okay, no one wants to hug something sweaty. But let me ask you, have you ever been too yucky to hug? You ever felt too yucky to hug? That's how all of us are before God, is what the Bible tells us. We're too dirty in our sin to embrace. And instead of telling us to go and clean ourselves up in love, Jesus says, let me clean you up as I hug you. Isn't that a great picture, boys and girls? See, that's the picture in this verse here, that Jesus sacrificed himself to make his bride clean and good. But here's the deal. Without the resurrection, Jesus' death doesn't have that power. If the resurrection is just something the disciples made up, if it's just some sort of, well, he was resurrected in their hearts when they remembered his teacher, whatever it is we're supposed to say, none of this is true. None of this has any power. We read it earlier. I want to read it to you again. Romans 10 uh, verse 9 says this. says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Or another famous verse, if you've been around church world, 1 Corinthians 15, 17. It's in the front and side of your bulletin cover as well. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Make no mistake, the New Testament is very clear. If Jesus is still in the grave, we're still in our sins, and all this stuff we do is a bunch of empty, meaningless rituals. If Jesus is just another martyr, we have not been forgiven. See what the New Testament teaches us, that Jesus was sinless and he didn't deserve to die. So death could not hold him. And so he burst forth from the grave on that third day, displaying the power of his indestructible life of righteousness. See, it's the death of Jesus that forgives our sin, but it's the righteous life of Jesus which makes us righteous too. And the power of the resurrection is what applies that to us, both Jesus' life and Jesus' death. I've used it before, but we think in currency, so this helps me. Think about this. The Bible presents the picture as this. We are incredibly in debt to God because of our sin. Like massively in debt. Like take the student loans that keep you up at night and like, quadruple them, okay? And then double that. And then add an exponent to that. We are that much in debt to our sin. And so what theologically what happens, the Bible says, is that the death of sinless Jesus for us gets us to zero. Debt is paid off, but we're broke. And I know many of you in the room right now are like, I'll take it. Where do I sign? Give me, give me that deal right now. See, but it's even more than that because God says, God not only says don't sin, God also says be perfect as I am perfect. How's that going for y'all? Right, exactly. So what happens is the, it's not just that the death of Jesus covers our sin, the righteous life of Jesus is also given to us and so we are made massively rich by God's grace before him. He forgives us and makes us righteous. He cleanses us. But only if the resurrection is real. 
If Jesus is still in the grave, everything I just said to you is just made up. Nothing like that happens. Because the resurrection empowers that. It's what cleanses his people, this verse tells us. Because in love, Jesus cleanses the church. And he did all that because in love, Jesus shows off his people. Look with me at verse 27 together. It says this. <clears throat> so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and wish, without blemish. If you'll allow me to kind of translate that a little roughly, literally the first part of that verse says that he might show off for himself the church's beauty. Now, men, you get this. Wives, I might be giving away a secret here, but there comes a time, especially during engagement and early marriage, but oftentimes later on in life as well, when the man will purposely drop conversation hints to his, to his boys, trying to get them to say, hey, well, let me see a picture of your wife. Let me see a picture, or let, let's go, turn on Facebook. Let me show your, let's see your profile picture, because he wants people to go, dude, nice, she's hot. Or wow, your wife is so beautiful. And it's not just younger men. I've heard older men too. They, I think my wife is the most prettiest woman in the room. You see, what guys love is we love it when someone says, your wife is so beautiful. We love that. You know why? Because most guys are average. Now, I know you're above average in looks. I know. But, but <laughs> most guys are average. Most guys are, okay, I'll just, I'm here. I'll just do it. Most guys are like me. We're pudgy. We're losing hair. We're thinner in places we wish we were thicker and thicker in places we wish we were thinner. It just happens. I know. Most days we feel kind of like Gollum. <laughs> but look who married us. It's okay that I look like Gollum because look at this. She married me. And it sounds like I'm being really selfish and silly, but this verse says I'm being extremely Christ-like. Thank you very much. <laughs> because it says Jesus died to make his bride beautiful so he could show her off. That Jesus displays to everybody and says, my people are beautiful and noble. Oh, dear Christians, those of you in the room who've confessed faith in Christ, do you believe that Jesus thinks about you that way? Or instead of the guys thinking they look like Gollum, do all of us feel like Gollum and immediately we say, no, not me. Not me. He hates us because I hate me. But see, the Bible says Jesus thinks you're so great and beautiful and noble that he wants to show you off. And this is not just me grabbing one verse and trying to make this case for this. Just a few chapters before this, Paul says, Ephesians 3.10, he says this. He says, why, why has he redeemed his people? So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. See, the triune God created his church to show off in the heavenly realms. What an incredibly cruel and manipulative thing for someone to write unless it's true. Now, ladies, that burst of joy you had in your heart a few moments ago when I talked about how your husband loves to show you off and loves to brag on how pretty you are, that's the feeling that all Christians get when we read these verses and think of what Jesus thinks of us. What kind of resources against anxiety and fear would we have if we actually believed God when he tells us this? 
Here's how we put it for the boys and girls. Let's all look at there, verse 27. It says this. It says, now Jesus loves to look at the church's beauty and show her off because he's made her holy and perfect. That's a picture of our Lord rejoicing to be married to his people. There's nothing he won't do for his bride, and he's not going to be satisfied until his bride, those of us who've placed our faith and trust in Jesus, he's not going to be satisfied until we are perfect, without spot, without wrinkle, beautiful. See, and he's not the abusive husband who demands that the wife perform to his standards and do it now perfectly. No, he's the gracious, loving husband who gives himself to make us that way. See, the incredible love and power is shown in the death and the resurrection of Jesus because that empowers the obedience he demands. See, without the power of Jesus' bodily resurrection, such cleansing, such showing off never happens. If Jesus is still in the ground, he's powerless to fulfill these promises. This is just wish fulfillment. But he was raised with witnesses, and in love, we're told that Jesus shows off his church. You see, Easter brings that message home to us because in love, Jesus' resurrection is for you. So I want to keep this marriage picture in mind on one hand, but on the other hand, I want you to look at that second passage there in your bulletin on page 10, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, and then 21 through 24, it says, says this. It says, then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he had made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So this is an account of the first marriage, like ever. Adam was not meant to be with any other creatures. And so because God loved him, he put Adam into a deep sleep. And in the narrative of the story, it looks like it's probably overnight on the sixth, waking up on the seventh day. When Adam wakes up on that first Sabbath morning, the earth is renewed. Everything is bright and fresh, and God presents to Adam his bride Eve, one who was created for him and yet from him by the power of God. Adam rejoices, and he spontaneously recites one of the very first human poems that, if you'll allow me to sum it up for you, basically says, whoa, she's awesome. God declares everything very good and then rests the beauty and completeness and innocence of his world just displayed for all. Now fast forward to that first Easter, that Sunday morning of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the first Christian Sabbath, and we see everything that happened in Genesis repeated and yet fulfilled. Jesus wasn't in a deep sleep, but he was under the power of death And as Jesus rose from the grave, because God loved him, we see God presents Jesus, his bride, the church, one who's created for him and yet from him by the power of God. And that day becomes our day of rejoicing and celebration. We see the rejoicing of God the Father to present his beloved son such a gift. 
We see the rejoicing of Jesus to take possession of such a gift and be united to his people. We see the rejoicing of the church to be cleansed and embraced by the love of such a husband. Oh, do you see the love and the hope and the security that the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives? The church is created as a gift for Jesus. The church is perfected by the death of Jesus. The church is made perfect and beautiful so Jesus can show us off. All of that comes about by the power of the resurrection of Jesus. And here's how another part of the New Testament sums it up. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says it this way. According to his great mercy, he being God has caused us to be born again to a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. The resurrection is the key to the salvation of God's people. Now, dear Christian, those of you who have placed your faith and trust in Jesus, see and feel again why the resurrection of Jesus is so important. There's no salvation without it. And it gets even better. I want to throw that piece of art back up on the slides for you so you can look at this. This beautiful idea of creation being restored and made even more vibrant and more abundant in life. The spotless, beautiful bride of Jesus, the church, we are actually a foretaste of the renewal that's coming. Because the gospel is not just about saving our souls, whatever that word means. It's about God fixing creation itself. That one day, someday, Jesus has promised, saying, I will make all things new. The key to creation's restoration is Jesus' resurrection. You can kind of follow the timeline here. We have life, we have loss, and what happens is it flows up through the cross to new life, and then it goes and it's even more abundant, kind of visual representation of what the Bible teaches. And I put this up here because I want you to see and feel again, or maybe for the first time, why the resurrection of Jesus is so important. There's no salvation, nor is there any hope of Jesus' life flooding all of creation, of making all things new without the resurrection. Now, if you're here today, and you're not sure if you would call yourself a Christian, you're not sure if you believe all this stuff about Jesus dying and rising from the grave. I mean, I get it. Dead people tend to stay dead. Fair enough. But I would just say you should want the resurrection to be true because the earthly promises of the Bible boil down to this. God holds out the hope of better people in a better world. No more invasions, no more environmental disasters, no more hatred, greed, poverty, murder. It all goes away. And one day, someday, when Jesus makes all things new. That's the Bible's promise of happily ever after. If you care about those things, you should want the resurrection to be true. The actual bodily resurrection of Jesus is the key to the gospel. Not simply that Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, but that God does not accept the brokenness and evil in us and in our world. And so he sent a redeemer to rescue his people and to rescue his creation. He's committed to making all things new. And these verses today, looking at the church and looking at the idea of marriage and Jesus making a new people, it reminds us that he's doing it through 
the most ancient, transnational, multi-ethnic, polysymphonic, diverse community the world has ever seen, his church. Now in this room at this hour, we don't look very diverse. I own that, but if you could zoom out and see all the Christians worldwide gathered to worship the resurrected Lord, you would see all of human diversity coming as the book of Revelation says, from every tribe, language, nation to confess that Jesus is Lord. Are you part of that church? The beautiful bride of Jesus. There's only one way to be part of the church and that is to be one of those that Jesus has purchased with his own life, one of those for whom Jesus has died, one of those who Jesus has cleansed. And here's the good news is you don't have to hear this and maybe feel convicted, okay, you're right, I gotta get serious about church. No. You don't have to try to clean up your life. You don't have to try to be a better person. That's all the stuff we do to placate an abusive spouse. But for a Savior who loves us, for a Savior who loves us so much he willingly died for us to cleanse us, you just have to receive him. Forget everything you've called religion. Cast aside everything you think Christianity is and you simply look in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. Place your faith and trust in him as the resurrected Lord, your only hope for salvation. And he'll make you part of his great church and the resurrection will be yours. If you haven't done that, you can do it now. You don't have to wait. Let's pray together. Oh, gracious God and heavenly Father, Lord, as we come before your word, Lord, part of our hearts wants to rejoice over what is so familiar about the resurrection, but part of our hearts still kind of holds back because it's just hard to believe that Jesus was actually dead and that he's actually alive in history in a body, that he defeated death. So Lord, we ask that you would strengthen our faith, that those of us who would call ourselves Christians, would you once again anchor us in the grace of the gospel. Let us see the beauty of Jesus and know what he has done for us. And we pray, Lord, that you would be true to your promise that as Jesus Christ has been lifted up and shown to be crucified for sinners and raised for new life, that you would draw people to yourself even in these moments. Would you call people, Lord, from death to life that they might confess faith in Jesus as the resurrected Lord. And maybe you're here today, maybe that's you. You don't have to say some magic words. It's just a simple cry of your heart that says, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died and rose from the grave. And I ask that you make me one of your people. And Lord, we pray that you would build your church even now. In Jesus' name, amen.